from Fresh Air Studios in Plymouth, this is In Conversation With, the podcast from Devon and Plymouth Chamber of Commerce, presented by Stuart Elford. With special guests, James Mackenzie Blackman, CEO of Theatre Royal Plymouth. In business, there's nothing I like more than someone saying, that's impossible. I'm like a red rag to a bull in that way. And Dave Meadows from Pushed. We work with like the National Trust, we work with AXA, we work with Cadbury's, we work with VW, we work with loads and loads of different clients. So it's great for the guys as well because every project is different. Hello there, I'm Stuart Elford, Chief Executive of Devon and Plymouth Chamber of Commerce with another edition of the In Conversation With podcast where we interview a number of business people, interview people from across the southwest who have an interesting story or job and today I am joined by someone who's got one of the most interesting jobs I know about and I'm really looking forward to speaking to them, James Mackenzie Blackman, new CEO of the Theatre Royal. Hello. Yeah, welcome. Now, I was sent your bio, and I've Mm. got to say that's pretty impressive. Can you give us a sort of potted history of the highlights and what brought you to Plymouth? Yes. Well, I'm Plymouth born and bred. was born in Freedom Fields in 1980. Grew up in Plymouth and in South Devon and had parents who encouraged me to fly the nest and see the world. So that's what I did. (laughs) Is that a polite way of told you to go? (laughs) A little bit. Get out of the house. (laughs) I left Plymouth when I was 19 and have been gone for kind of 21 years, really. Wow. And yeah, I've been very, very fortunate. I've had an amazing career that's taken me all over the world, principally after university in Liverpool. Can divide it up 15 years in London, six of those years working across the UK and across the world. When I ran Matthew Bourne's dance company, New Adventures, had the great privilege of going to all the major theatres across the planet, really. And then adopted two little boys between sort of 2014 and 2017. Touring the world with two young sons is not a great idea. Oh, so, um, really difficult to do. Really difficult. So, I was in Melbourne with a production and got back and my husband said I think it's time you found a different job after being in Melbourne for a long period of time with some babies yeah yeah, exactly so we've just spent five incredible years living in the highlands of Scotland where I ran Eden Court Scotland's largest single site arts venue and yeah about a year ago I saw in the news that Adrian Vinkin was leaving the Theatre of Plymouth and your eyes lit up and my eyes lit up and I thought, I can't not try. And here I am. Well, you've got an impressive CV that surely helped. And I think that must be a great help when, you know, in the nicest possible way, big shoes to fill. Mm. Adrian been with us for a very long time. And someone described it to me as a bit like being the band that comes on after Led Zeppelin. It's kind of like <laughs> no pressure. But, you know, how do you manage that? You know, are you excited about it? Are you intimidated by it? I mean, you can't be because you've done some amazing things and worked at top level in theatre. But how are you feeling about it now? Yeah, I feel fine about it. I have huge respect for Adrian. He achieved extraordinary things at the Theatre Royal in the face of great adversity, actually, when he first joined the organisation. It was in a really challenging place. And he saw the potential for the Theatre of Plymouth to be the premier performing arts venue for the Southwest Peninsula. And that's what he did, as well as then going on to build TR2, our amazing facility in Catdown. And I feel very privileged to have got to know him from the period between being appointed last July and starting in January. And I'm yeah immensely fond of him and stay in regular contact with him and know that he's on the end of the phone if I need him. But equally, I think I'm going to be quite a different chief executive to Adrian. And I think the Theatre Royal 
Plymouth, given the current operating conditions that we find ourselves in, the state of the world. You know, I'm settling into thinking I'm the right guy at the right time, actually. So, sure you um, yeah. They don't give the job away lightly. No, they don't. It was a very, very robust and long process. Which it has to be, of course, but it's yeah. painful to go through. It is. Yeah. yeah, it was the same for my job. I mean, they put me through the ringer. And I'm now glad they did. But at the time, it's like, thanks for that. Yeah, yeah there were many moments where... <laughs> I thought, oh, no, I've got to wait another week before another round. And it was during COVID, so it was still really challenging to sort of travel. And I was coming pretty much as far as you could from Inverness. So it was planes, trains and automobiles to get here for interview. Oh, my God. So you must be committed. And that was actually going to be my next question, because you've had a lot of, sort of, if not turnarounds in your career, but you've done a lot of raising money for theatres and arts projects and then moved on. Are you here for the long haul now? Have we got you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm home, right? And my sons are eight and five. They need some stability. Mm. And this is a job that I grew up coming to the Theatre Royal as a child and was in the youth theatre at the Theatre Royal in my teens. My mum tells a story that around 13 or 14, I stood in the bar of the Theatre Royal and pointed at Adrian and said, one day I'm going to do that man's job. Really? Yeah. Fantastic. Um, so, yeah, here and we are. are. You're yeah, pinching so, yourself still, or is it real now? Yeah, sometimes. I mean, I've just, you know, Stuart, I'm a bit late today. I've come from the investiture of the new Lord Mayor. I'm not sure I've got that right. But, yeah, to be sat in the Guildhall this morning in this city where I feel a great sense of civic pride and love, yeah, it's an immense privilege. You mentioned you were going to be a very different CEO. So what are your priorities for the theatre? What can we expect to see from James? Well, we'll continue to bring the very best theatre, dance, music, opera to Plymouth and I'll be working fiercely hard Mm. to get us the very, very best shows and there's some fantastic shows on the horizon coming in the years ahead but equally I want to be an organisation that is working outside of our building a bit more demonstrating the impact that art and culture can have on improving lives raising that smile I was in Boots the other day and the woman on the till noticed my Theatre Plymouth Lanyard and she just looked up and she said that one of the happiest places in this city is where you work and it brings me so much joy yeah it just kind of set me off for the whole day really yeah we're going to be mattering more to more people it's almost like you've read my notes which I know you haven't genuinely haven't so why do you think theatre and arts culture particularly is important because obviously there's some pretty serious stuff going on in the world right now. But why is theatre and culture important? Well, theatre, places like the Theatre Royal, participating in culture, singing, getting up and having a dance, it makes us the people that we are and it allows us to escape. Mm. And I think given the circumstances that we find ourselves in, the challenges that we're all experiencing, two or three hours sat in some dim lighting, having a shared experience with extraordinary talent on our stages Mm. is actually what we need right now. And we are in the business of bringing people together. We've lived recently through a time where that's been impossible or where Mm. we've been told we're allowed to do the opposite. And it is just a joy to be overhearing people talking about how pleased they are to be back at the Theatre Royal or participating in our projects and participating in arts and culture, coming to the theatre, it just makes us happy, doesn't it? Or it makes us see the world in new ways and through other people's eyes and that's why it's important. Yeah, and I think it's funny you should mention that. I think it's also important because it gives a sense of civic identity and civic pride. It talks about ourselves and the theatre itself, well, it's certainly renowned around the country, if not the world, as one of the best 
theatres. And it's certainly known about that in your industry. Mm-hmm. But do you get frustrated? Plymouthians don't always realise what a fantastic asset we've got and what fantastic things happen. Because, you know, the West End shows start here. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of Plymouthians do understand right. and appreciate the role that we play in the sort of life of our city and the life of our sector. We have got one of the best regional theatres in the whole United Kingdom. We are attracting hundreds of thousands of people into our building every year. But we can always do more. We can always matter more to more people. We know that we've got some challenges ahead around ticket price and cost of living. And so, you know, we're really, really thinking about that at the Theatre Royal and thinking about how we ensure that we are accessible But yeah, that sort of sense of civic pride is really, really important to me. And I care about it an awful lot. You know, we're this incredible listed building at the end of Royal Parade, right in the middle of town, as well as our amazing building at Catdown that won architectural awards when it was built. And together across those two sites, I've got absolutely amazing, talented people who, just like me, care passionately about the city and the region. Yeah, it's so good to hear that you want to make it accessible. I think getting young people in and seeing it, especially young people who wouldn't traditionally, perhaps their families wouldn't have been to the theatre and they wouldn't have known about what it is. And to see that, give them that sense of awe and wonder and experience, I think is really important. And funny enough, I was having a meeting this morning with Hannah Harris from Plymouth Culture, who I hope you've already met. Yeah, Yeah. And she was telling me the story about when the hatchling was here. She tells this story about... As this hatchling was emerging and flying, a little boy is about 10 years old in front of her, said to his dad, do you know, if Plymouth keeps getting better like this, I might not leave. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, of course you shouldn't leave. Yeah. Look at the fantastic things. So do you see real potential in Plymouth, not just in arts and culture, although that too, I'm interested in your view on Plymouth's art and culture scene, but generally? Yeah, that's one of the reasons I wanted to come back. Because having been away for 20 years, and my parents moved to South Devon, they live at South Brent. So on the times that I would come back to Plymouth during the time that I lived away, or to the region, there wasn't a huge amount of reason for me to come into the city centre. So it wasn't until I was interviewing for the job that I felt like I started to get to know the city again. And there is an ambition in this city, and a desire to shout more loudly about our assets and about our people, Mm. our fantastic sense of humour, our sort of rather divisive architectural heritage. That's a polite way of saying some of it's great, some of it's bloody awful. (laughs) But but I kind of love that, you know. I love the diversity of the architecture of the city. I love that you can walk out of stage or at the Theatre Royal and within five minutes be on the waterfront. Yeah, I love that you can get a great coffee at Pier 1 and then wander down and paddle. These are amazing things that other UK cities just do not have. And if there's something that I hope that I can contribute to during my time running the Theatre Royal or my time having any kind of voice to represent the city, I think about that a lot. I'm very privileged to have some power. I don't really know where that power is, but if I can use that power well, it's about helping not just the people of our city to understand how lucky we are to live here, but to help the city improve and be more liked both ourselves and by people outside. Yeah, and I think actually it starts with ourselves. There's a heck of a lot of good going on. There really is. I was in a meeting a few weeks ago. I can't remember what the context of the meeting was, but it was with wider city stakeholders. We were talking about a very similar issue and I was reminded of the three years that I lived in Liverpool and how proud Scousers are of their city. And in this meeting, I said, you know, what would we need to do to help the people of our city be more Liverpool or have Mm. an attitudinal 
shift. Yeah. About I am a Jana and I am super proud. Yeah. And I've been thinking about that an awful lot, actually, about like what would we need to do? Because there are so many people who love yeah. living here, you know, and I have chosen to live right in the middle of the city centre. I'm three minutes from stage door. And that's really important to me. It's important to me that running an organisation like TRP, that I pay my council tax to Plymouth City Council, really matters to me. So, yeah, there's something in all of that that feels exciting. Well, funnily enough, Hannah Harris and I were talking about this morning, and the very phrase I used was pride in Plymouth. Right, you know, yeah. Do we all hashtag it? I don't know. We are having those conversations as a yeah. wider city about, you're right, how do we instill that sense of pride? I want to get into a taxi or go and have my hair cut, and unsolicited, I want that person to say to me, oh, have you been to the box? Have you been to the theatre? Oh, did you see that the theatre's got this on? You know, yeah. What's happening down Royal William Yard? I want people to be proud of it, because it's a fabulous city. And what I realised is, it's really funny, the people who are most proud of the city are the people who weren't born here. Right, so people yeah. who come down here or come here with jobs or whatever, they talk about how great it is. And I think, well, if only we could get yeah. everyone on board yeah. with that. Yeah. And I think you've got a massive part to play in that, particularly because I see you're very interested in the sort of education side of theatre. So why is that? And what do you think it brings? Well, my own life was transformed by participating in new theatre when I was a teenager. I was good at school. I was always got good grades, but I was always sort of dodging the bullies, you know, sort of. Big NHS glasses, lots of ginger hair, bit camp. <laughs> so like Ivorybridge Community College in the 90s, it was a very it, different place. It was a different place. And then I found my tribe really at the mm. Theatre Royal. And I met other young people like me who had a shared passion for the performing arts. And the other unique thing that the Theatre Royal gave me as a teenager was that I met all the young people who were passionate about performing. But we all lived and had very different lives and backgrounds. Mm. But we all became mates because we loved the Theatre Royal and we loved the performing arts. Mm. And there were kids living on estates in the middle of the city. There were kids in the South Hams with swimming pools in their gardens. And there was something about that unique experience, Mm. which schools can't give really, because skills ghettoise young people. A school is in a geographical place and all the children and young people that go to that school also live in that geographical place. Mm. So they will be in that school with children and young people from similar backgrounds. And what we can do at the Theatre Royal through all of our projects is help young people to meet other young people. And without a shadow of a doubt, those experiences through my teenage years set me up for adult life. It gave me the aspiration that I could achieve my potential in a way that school did not. Mm. And it built a confidence in me that, again, school was not setting me up to do. And I very, very genuinely believe I'm only sat in this chair today because of that experience. So, of course... All I want to do is make those opportunities happen for other children and young people in the city and the region. Well, that's wonderful to hear. For me, I was disaffected with education. My results were poor. I just hated school. I, you know, various reasons I won't bore everyone with. But for me, it was the air cadets. It gave me yeah. a focus and a discipline that I understood and yeah. a structure. And so young people do need tribes. Yeah. You know, the air cadets was my tribe. Absolutely. It was my group. You know, we Absolutely. all had a shared love of flying or aeroplanes or whatever yeah. it is. And so it's great that you can do that. Still to come. 
Dave Meadows from Pushed. We realise we've got quite a strong brand. We deliver a great product. Also, the fact we can sort of stay down the West Country and still keep our staff remote, it all works for us. Follow the Devon and Plymouth Chamber of Commerce on Twitter at Chamber underscore Devon and search for us on LinkedIn. Make sure you don't miss out on future episodes. Hit subscribe now. And I hope you don't mind, and tell me to mind my own business, mm. but you touched on your own sexuality there. Has that had a negative or positive impact? What challenges have you had to overcome? And is it getting better? Tell me it's getting better that you're not facing that prejudice. That's a really big question. I think, I mean, I grew up in the 90s, so late 80s, early 90s, I remember very vividly that ads on TV about HIV. Yeah. So as a man now in my early 40s, the stark reality is grew up in a time where I thought I was going to die. You know, actually living in my body in my teens, that's what I thought was going to happen to me. And there are scars from that. But I emerged into my 20s, into a world of civil partnerships, then marriage equality. And this is sort of connected. So I've got a brother, we're very close in age. And then my mum got pregnant and I had my sister when I was in my teens. So there was a baby in my family when I was going through my teenage years, my sister. And actually, I never really, as I was growing up, felt, well, I felt some degree of anxiety about growing up and being a gay man. But the thing that I felt a great sadness about was not being able to be a parent. I think that would never Mm. happen for me because I was sat in my teens holding this little baby who I loved, who was my little sister, and thought, I'm never going to have this for myself. So I feel great pride that, you know, the world changed, the attitudes changed and laws changed that meant that I have been able to become a parent. And yeah, you know, still, you know, I've had our eldest son now for seven and a half years and, you know, to be watching him play cricket, swim. Yeah, still pinching myself that that's something that has been able to happen for me because in many parts of the world, you know, there is still a very, very, very long way to go. But it brings me great joy to hear teenagers now that participate in our projects at the Theatre Royal. They don't know what a closet is. They're just out. You know, they are very happy in their own skin, but there is still a long way to go. And I'm proud to have the leadership role that I have in the city. Mm. I'm proud of what my family looks like, the diversity of my family. And I will bring my full self to whatever tables I'm at, really. Because, you know, Stuart, we've sat in a lot of meetings together since I've been in post over the last six months. And those meetings that we are in are normally dominated by men. Those men are normally white men. So, yeah, you know, know, we we do share that. But the city and the policies of our city, the diversity of our city will get better if people like me and you are creating space, welcoming people in. So the fact that I'm a gay man, the fact that I'm a parent, the fact that my boys are adopted, it's a really important part of my character and who I am. Yes, it's interesting. I was going to say, I don't want to sort of focus on this because you are so much more than just your sexuality. So I hope you don't mind me. Just one more question. Yeah, about sure. it. You know, coming out, you talked about in your day, people came out the closet and now people are just out. They just develop as a person. Did you have a day when you sort of announced to the world? I can't really Sorry. remember. No, it's fine. I think if you, I think if you ask, if you ask a lot of gay people about their coming out story, they will often say that they started telling people who they were most fearful of not being abandoned by. So I started telling people that were not that close to me. Just to see what would happen. To test the water, yeah. yeah. It was a gradual process. 
Yeah. Yeah. I came down to Plymouth when I was about eight or nine, and my best friend was the first guy I sat next to in school, and we've grown up together, and I've now known him for 40, <laughs> 45 years. And when we were 21, we were on holiday together, and we sat having a drink on the balcony, and he told me he was gay. And he was building to something. I could see he was trying to say something, and eventually he kind of came out with it. And, I, and I'll admit, for 12, 24 hours, I was a bit freaked out. I was like, oh, my God, you know, what yeah. does this mean? Yeah. And after that, I remember thinking, well, I've already known you for like 14 years or whatever it was. And it's like, you know, so, okay, your taste in that are different to mine, but your taste in music are different to mine. You're t- yeah. I just don't care. But I guess, you know, I guess the other thing to sort of acknowledge is that you never stop coming out, really. And I guess I feel that a bit more and more, especially because I've got kids. So if I'm at an event and I'm stood chatting to people and I might mention my son, a question that can follow quite often is, what does your wife do? You know, so okay. that you're like, because it's an assumption. It's just an assumption, yeah. You know, yeah. like you never stop coming out. I don't think. Well, certainly in certain circumstances, but that's what I mentioned before about chatting to young people now. And one of the things that I love about the Theatre Royal is the diversity of our workforce, mm. and it is amazing to not just the young people that wander around our buildings feeling like they own them, and they do. You know, we're a public building. You know, my younger colleagues are just often really moved by how gracious and careful and inclusive they are of each other. And so the generation behind us is better than the one we're in now, more inclusive and more welcoming. And that is a joy. Definitely. I went to an all-boys school where we all called each other by our surnames. (laughs) I can remember the O-level results coming out. It's like, what did Smith get? And Jones got that and whatever. And now I see kids supporting each other and hugging each other with joy or consoling each other when it hasn't gone how they want. I think... We are moving in the right direction, maybe not sometimes as fast as we'd like. But as Barack yeah. Obama says, the arc of history is long and there may be ups and downs. But as long as the general trajectory is improving, then I think that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. And I work in an industry that has always attracted people from diverse backgrounds. But, you know, let's also acknowledge the first professional footballer has yeah. come out yeah, as yeah. a gay man. And, you know, wow. It's 2022, right? Why should um, that have taken so long? Yeah, and how brave that young man has been. You know, I think what was most moving about reading a bit about that news story was that's a 17-year-old. Yeah. 17, that lad. What an extraordinary thing. Brave um, and strong. Super brave and... and super strong. And let's hope that other people in other sectors and other industries feel that they can follow, do the same, do the yeah. same yeah. Well, Gary Lineker said that'll be the first of a whole wave now that will say, well, if he can say it, I can say it. And I think that's great. I really admire them for doing it. You know, we'll move on from that because I've got to ask you a really horrible question. And I know it's horrible because I asked Adrian Vinkham when I interviewed him. And he said, oh, God, I hate it when people ask me that, you know. So what is the best production you've ever seen? Oh, no. What's your favourite show? You know, or if you can't answer the best, what could you see over and over again? Preferably the best, though. Or if you really want to tell us the dirt, tell us the worst you've ever seen. I see a lot that I don't like. I mean, not stuff that I don't like, but you have to sit through a lot. And you sit through it, it's a sort of terrible phrase, really. But yeah, you see a lot of work. You can't that love does, it all. Can you, you can't love it. You can't love it all. And my taste is very broad. I'm not going to sort of answer the question specifically, I'm afraid, Stuart, because it's almost impossible. And my is brain's. Because you're being politically. No, no, it's not because my, my brain's <laughs> taking me to all sorts of different shows. I guess something that I'm very proud of is that 
the guy, Carl Queensborough, that's currently playing Alexandra Hamilton in Hamilton in the West End, was a young person on a project that I ran at the Lyric Hammersmith in West London. He discovered a passion for theatre through a project that I delivered at the Lyric Hammersmith. And now he's got one of the best roles in theatre in the West End. So the pride that I felt watching him perform that role, my heart was beating out of my chest. And so it should. Seeing Lord of the Flies, Matthew Bourne's Lord of the Flies at Art Centre Melbourne, which is a project that everyone told me that I would never make happen in business. There's nothing I like more than someone saying that's impossible. I'm like a red rag to a ball in that way. So Matthew Bourne's New Adventures, we've made this production, Lord of the Flies. It had been a big success in the UK. And then I met Claire Spencer, who was the chief executive of the Arts Centre in Melbourne, and she said, I'd love to do it. So many people said we'd never do it. Claire and I made it happen. Claire's just taken over, actually, as chief executive of the Barbican in London. Yeah, so projects, business decisions that feel their most hard are the ones where I take the greatest pleasure and settle into, you know, working with a team to deliver them. Brilliant. And you are actually changing lives. And you should be proud of that, you know, because you can tangibly see it. What you said there about impossible, I feel exactly the same. I hate that word. Nothing's impossible. Yeah, nothing's impossible. But no, I think when you're a chief executive, it's a funny word, isn't it? I often think about, you know, people as we go around a room at a meeting, you know, what's your name? What's your job role? And as it gets to me and I think... Even now, mean? and I've, yeah, what's it mean? I've been doing this job now yeah. for seven years in different organisations. <laughs> I still can't define it. Longer than that, actually, probably 10 years. Sometimes I say buck stops here, but I really feel it's my job to run my organisation bravely and in a values-driven way to create safety for colleagues to be their best, to listen really hard and to have fun. You know, that's another thing that I really yeah. it's okay to take have fun seriously. Work, it? I think it's really important to have fun. I love hearing laughter on the corridor outside my office. If I've got two minutes, I'll run out and join in. Yesterday, I had a series of really long meetings, kicked my shoes off. So much of my character is defined by what I do, really. I don't know how to do very much else. I often sort of say I know an awful lot about not very much. You kind of have to, to be a CEO, I think. Do you think? Yeah. yeah. I think you need to have a broad understanding. I think CEOs are very narrow-minded, perhaps. I'm quite curious as a person, and I really like having my mind changed. Yeah. I really like that. I love, I love that. someone Challenge in a meeting me. who, you know, I might be there, and they're there, and then they sort of say why they're there, and then I can feel myself slowly creeping. That's always yeah. really nice. Yeah. But equally, I also hold really firmly that it is often my job to set a direction. And that makes me think about another thing that I think about a lot in this role is I think about doing the job that I do almost like a seesaw. On one end of the seesaw is democracy. On the other end of the seesaw is dictatorship. And every day and in every meeting, I'm having to slide somewhere between the two. And I really like being down there, like taking group decisions. And if I look back on my career and look back on the decisions that I've made through my career, though sometimes I do think that what people needed in a specific moment, and COVID was a very good example of this, when everything was going wrong, almost swore then, when everything was feeling at its most difficult. It's not BBC One. (laughs) When everything was feeling at its most difficult. And in the performing arts, we were in absolute peril. You were in freefall. We were in freefall. And the organisation that I was running, I'll never forget saying to my finance director, about 10 days into lockdown, how much cash have we got? How much longer have we got? Yeah. 
I hadn't even thought to ask. Mm. She said, oh, give me a day. And then she came back and it was bad. Mm. And what I did, I think probably in hindsight a bit too much, was sit in sort of group decision making. Mm. And actually around me were a set of very senior colleagues who needed me to just tell them what we were going to do. Sometimes people want People really want that. So whilst that was so hard that time, I learned a lot about leadership through it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, me too. So I'd been in post less than a year when the pandemic hit and I'd joined a job that was exciting and wonderful and all these things I was going to do and meet loads of people and go to loads of places. Well, guess what? That wasn't going to happen. And then pandemic hit and I had a moment because I like to think I'm inclusive. I want to bring the team Mm. on a journey. Mm. I like to listen to what they have to say. And you're right. A group decision is always better if we all buy into it. But I remember at that point sitting in my office and elsewhere and I thought, shit, Mm -hmm. this is it. Mm. You know, this is really serious now. Mm. And I thought, what do we need to do? So I wrote on my whiteboard, I wrote the reason we're there, so members. It was mm-hmm. all about our members. What are they going through? And then I wrote the key strands of our business down. So, you know, membership, events, international trade, business support, and so forth. And I said to each of the team, right, I want your plan in the next sort of eight hours. Literally, it was eight hours. What do you think we're going to have to do to transform this digitally? And... Actually, people say the pandemic was the digital transformation officer you didn't know you wanted or needed. Mm -hmm. And lucky for us, some of our business could continue, unlike Mm. the performing arts. Obviously, you couldn't. Mm. But I remember thinking, they need someone to tell them now. You know, this is time for someone to stand up. Whether you're right or wrong, just make a decision. that Let's boldly move forward. And it's good. Yeah, You're there for the reason. As you said at the start of the interview, you're the right leader at the right time. Yeah, it reminds me, I mentioned Claire Spencer at Art Centre Melbourne, and she's a sector friend that's become very close and not long into the pandemic text Claire down in Melbourne I think I said what are we gonna do very open question to someone who I felt I could be brave enough Mm. running a big cultural organization she replied block out all the noise and cling on to your values Mm. and that is all I needed yeah and the value can I remember them yes I can the values of the organization that I used to run were proud ambitious open and nurturing And I stood up and I got sheets of A4 paper. I wrote proud on one, ambitious on one, open and nurturing on. And I stuck them on the wall and they absolutely got me through. Yeah, They absolutely got me through, even when the decisions were very difficult about people and their jobs and their livelihoods. Those values got me through. I think that's inspirational. I mean, values-driven leadership, that's what it's all about. And that's what I'm about. I've set our priorities for the year as people, planet, purpose. And I keep thinking to myself, does it fit within that? Yeah. Yeah. Are we looking after people? Are we looking after the planet? Are we having a positive social impact? And if we're not, we're doing it wrong. And actually, that also makes me think about the conversations we're having at TRP at the moment about the breadth and depth of what we do Mm. and the extreme pressures on our business, whether that's utility bills suppliers, product demand. And I actually think we're entering a time where we're going to have to be brave about what we don't do yes. in order to do what we do do really well. Yeah, you can't do everything. Really well. We can't do everything. And actually what I have learned and I'm continuing to learn is that whilst TRP is a really big organisation with hundreds of staff and significant turnover, We are very much part of a cultural ecology in our city. And it's really important that organisations like mine create space for other organisations and other people and other artists to do stuff. Yeah. 
Well, I'm glad you mentioned other organisations because the business community in Plymouth is very proud to be associated with the theatre. We love it. We're proud of it. We're here to help. Call on us as you can, as much as we can. We will always help. I just want to, before we wrap up, you kind of hinted, you said you don't know much about anything else or you don't do much (laughs) for anything else. Come on, tell us about Jane. So what do you do? You can't be all theatre. You must be things you do to relax, do you? Surf, what do you do? Yeah, I'm afraid to say I don't do much else. And my day, I'm up at six every morning. There's that kind of extraordinary time between six and 7.30 where somehow you all get dressed, the kids get dressed, you do some homework, you feed them, feed the dog. So I walk the dog every other morning on the hoe. That's very nice. I love my food. I love a really nice glass of wine. I really love watching TV. I'm not a huge consumer of film. I wouldn't be able to name a movie. I've never really got into movies. Drive my husband mad because I fall asleep in films all the time. (laughs) I love my family. I love spending time with my sister, husband and their kids. I love being back and able to do that. But we are definitely living in a moment where family life and professional life is pretty all-consuming. Yeah. I've started swimming off the hoe, doing that kind of a couple of days a week. Oh, people um, tell me I've got to do it, but I don't know. Cold? Like super, super cold. And I sort of got it all wrong and just went in in trunks and having never done it before and then like just kept going because it was cold and then looked back and thought shit I'm really far away then I started to really show panic so I have got a wetsuit I'm one of those swimmers yeah it's a lot life's a lot got two boys who are eight and five they've got a lot on clubs you know like kids parties how do I relax I sleep yeah and a glass of wine I do much the same funnily enough I've recently changed my bio on social media and things because it used to say pilot, sailor, tennis player, blah, blah. And I thought, I haven't done any of that for <laughs> years. I mean, literally years. So I think it just says now, you know, I'm a biker and a doggy dad yeah, to Charlie I, the Cockapoo. That's it. I think there's a cycling emoji on my Twitter bio. And every time I look at it, I think, mm, can no. I say? <laughs> I have a couple of times cycled out to Tavistock since I've been down and I love that route. But yeah, I'm mostly a dad or a colleague. Or a husband. That's mostly how I spend my time. And that's perfectly acceptable because you've got to have time for family and the things you love. But I'm glad you're putting so much time into an asset that we love. And I know you're a busy guy because, as you said, you came out of a meeting with the Lord Mayor. You know, Thank you so much for giving up your time. Not it's been at all. an absolute delight to talk to you. I hope we talk again. I think I could talk yeah, to you for hours now. It's lovely. Thank you, James Mackenzie Blackman. No worries. And now, Chambermaid, introducing business owners from across the Southwest. Hello there, and welcome back to our In Conversation With podcast. We're now going to the Chamber Maid part of the interview. This is M-A-D-E, not M-A-I-D, where we talk to Chamber members about their business and hopefully how brilliant the Chamber is and how we've supported them. And today I am joined by Dave Meadows from Pushed. Hello, Dave. Hello, Stuart. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. So, Dave, tell us about Pushed. Pushed is an animation and video production company based in Plimpton. Been going for about 17 years now. It started because I previously worked at ITV for 10 years at Mm. West Country. And sadly, they were closing down in 2005 or starting to. I was an animator there, turned to my wife and said, you know what, I'm going to go out and set up my own business. (laughs) What could possibly go wrong? And that's exactly how she reacted. (laughs) (laughs) And she said, no, please, please go out and get yourself a job. 
And I went, no, I really want to have a go at setting up my own company. Mm. So after about 10 months of discussion, she said, right, you've got one year. Let's see how it goes. Fair enough. 17 years on, I got one thing right, and we're still here and we're still going. So we specialise in corporate explainers. We do promo videos for companies as well. We also do TV and online adverts. And we also do e-learning and a bit of TV broadcast graphics. So the pretty bit to get around the programs. Ooh, what would we have seen? James Martin. We do oh. kind of all of his stuff. We do Rick Stein as well, kind of long weekends. We do stuff for NC Harriet. Just doing a new program as well for a new star called Jeremy Pang. Mm-hmm. He's coming out. It's basically the opening titles and any sort of internal graphics within the program itself. Do you get to meet these people? Or? No, I did do in my early days when we were at ITV. Yeah. But no, I mean, Karen, my wife, says, oh, can you get James Martin's autograph? Or something I'm like sure that? she does. <laughs> Yes. But no, we don't get to meet them, but we do get to make some very nice graphics for them. Yeah. I don't know why this reminded me of this, but Chris Evans, the broadcaster, said his wife was a real fan of Lenny Kravitz. Know him well. And she was a fan in quite a sort of admiring, sort of gushing, sort of blushing a lot kind of way. And she finally got to meet him at some function and said, oh, Chris, take a photo of us. And Chris Evans took a photo. But he held the camera such that when she developed it or looked at the photos later, there was just a photo of their feet. He said, I'm not having a photo of her gushing over Lenny Kravitz. (laughs) That's great. Yes, you're probably right that we don't meet all our heroes and, no, quite. and famous people. <laughs> so tell me, what do you love about animation? I love the flexibility of it and how the world is your oyster. It's basically where your imagination takes you, effectively. Mm. I think that's where we found over the years that people can see the power of animation and the fact that you can create anything from scratch. With video, obviously, you're kind of stuck with what you've made, so adapting it is very difficult. But with animation, you can take your idea, develop it. Then if things change down the line, you don't have to effectively change change the whole animation you can obviously change parts of it so we certainly find it's quite effective and quite cost effective for projects for our clients plus it's just a lot of fun Stuart (laughs) if I'm brutally honest you can let your mind go and just do anything you can I do feel slightly privileged to be working in this industry because it's great fun I mean every day is different we aren't tied to any sectors at all we work with like the National Trust we work with AXA we work with Cadbury's we work with VW we work with loads and loads of different clients so it's great for the guys as well because every project is different different. So what got you into the animation part? Didn't you do graphic design originally? I did. So originally I went to good old family university and spent four years windsurfing and then... <laughs> and did a bit of work. And, and did a bit there. of work in between and managed yeah. to sort of squeeze it in. But yes, I started in a graphic information design degree. But my idea with that was it was quite diverse. It looked at lots of different disciplines within the graphic right. design industry. So not just sort of the plain graphics that you get, say, in a holiday brochure or something like that. It looked at animation as well. And that's where suddenly I looked at that and thought, actually, that's quite an interesting. I love the way that works. So when I left there originally, I then got a job at ITV, as I said, but I worked in the graphics department for good old Carlton, and they decided to centralise all their graphic design sources in Birmingham four days after I joined them. Oh, Uh, Yes. Yeah, I went, oh, great. So I turned around to my boss and went, I'm really quite interested in animation. Any chance I can kind of... And he said, well, look, you're on a six-month contract. If you can learn the software, we'll revisit that in six months' time. Oh, okay. And then I ended up staying there for 10 years. So it Thankfully. turned into an opportunity. It which did. you seized. Which I seized. I mean, my main premise is I wanted to stay down in the West Country. I love it down here. Obviously, I went to Falmouth, you know, spent four years there. And obviously, I'm married to a lovely lady from the West Country as well. So the draw to stay down here was very strong. So it's been great that we've managed to stay down here and actually continue my business. And we've talked about famous people you've worked with, and I mm. suppose the biggest superstar you might have worked with, I don't know if I can ask, but mm. did you work with Gus Neiman? <laughs> I didn't work directly, although I did make his animations. Did you? So I did. So when they used to do the birthday announcements, yeah. all the animation that came on around the outside of that, there was like all the leaves and stuff. Yeah. That was my very first job that I did. Although I 
did make a boo-boo on the first day at West Country and I spent all day on my very first day drawing all the lovely leaves to go around this side of this new birthday kind of animation and then my computer crashed at about five o'clock in the afternoon and my boss turned around and said oh don't worry I'm sure you saved it all and I went uh no and I could see the look in his face going oh great <laughs> this is a good start so yeah. yeah luckily after that I managed to remember to put auto save on <laughs> that's one yeah. of the best features ever invented it, on it is um, it is IT. it's a, a lifesaver I've seen your client list you've got an impressive client list who's been the most fun to work with Oh, that's interesting. I think at the moment, the National Trust has been actually a really okay. diverse industry to work with because originally we were looking at them as a business and thinking they seem to have gone down very much one route, the way they look as a company. And we pitched an idea to them and said, look, the history of your places is so interesting, but obviously you're not really conveying that to your audience. So we put an idea to them and said, how about taking the history of one of your establishments, Saltram House it happened to be, and said... Obviously, you want that to be interesting to a wide audience from, you know, 8 to 80. Why don't you do it animated? Because you can bring those 400 years of history to life. Mm-hmm. So they went, yeah, all right, then let's have a go. Let's so go. so we put that together. I mean, I found it fascinating myself just actually looking through that. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, they took it on board and they put it out on social media. On the first day, it got 12,000 hits when they'd been getting like 1,500 for most of their posts. Brilliant. So we went, oh, okay, that works. <laughs> so Clearly that, it does. It, yeah. But they've been doing lots of other things as well. So we've actually grown with them so they've been looking at the way that they're going to be changing the outdoor spaces for the national trust so meadowland and hedgerows and they want to show what that's going to look like in 10 15 20 years time so we're now actually doing visualizations for them about how these are going to look in cgi which is actually quite interesting so you're sort of time traveling we are time traveling. Yeah, i know it's great it's funny i can't ever think of the national trust without thinking of my late aunt bless her uh, jenny who before she died said to me look i've got lots of kids i'm not going to leave you anything in the will but i'm going to make you a life member of the national trust now while i'm alive and i wrote you a letter and said thanks auntie that's really lovely and every time i look at an old relic i'll think of you <laughs> poor lady i didn't mean it like she was so sweet so every time i take the dog for a walk at saltman park i think of yeah. auntie jenny so Aww. bless her it's really sweet. it's a beautiful place it is it's a beautiful place if you'd like to feature on a future episode of in conversation with send an email to info at freshairstudios.com And so is this what you mean by corporate explainers, then, that you can take a lot of information and show it in a simple way that even people like me can understand? Exactly. I mean, that's basically where we specialise, is making something that is quite difficult to explain or takes a long time to explain, condensing it down into a much shorter amount of time. And we've done projects like Tarmac, for example, and they were talking about the IR35 tax bracket. Not a very... Fascinating. It's riveting. It is riveting, honestly. I could feel everyone glazing over Mm. as soon as you mention it. But they were finding that they were having to sit down in a room with... IR35 people and talk to them about how it all works and obviously in a, in a big organisation that takes a lot of time so we got chatting to them and said look we can probably condense that down into about three minutes and they went oh that's interesting of which we then did so we actually managed to create this animation for them and we based it around do you remember the good old books as a kid that you could change the head change the body change yeah. the legs yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Well, and IR35 was about that it's about basically they call it disguised employees so we created this animation where you could change the body of the head to actually demonstrate the principle of an IR35 but it was all done in animation and all done within about three minutes which obviously saved them a lot of time 
That is fantastic. Do you know, I always think, you know, it's funny that picture paints a thousand words, they say. And you're right, you can get so much information over it in a way that a brain can understand rather than words. Yeah. I think I'm most aware of this when I was studying for my pilot's license. I think you take about six or seven exams and it's very wordy and very difficult. And the particular thing I was struggling with was pressure difference about Q&E and Q&H, which is the difference between the pressure and the sea level and where you took off is different to where you're landing. And I couldn't yeah. get my head around it and which flight level you're oh, oh. And I so I drew myself a picture. And it took me a while, but I drew the aeroplane, yeah. I drew the takeoff runway and the landing airport and all this thing. And I can remember that to this day. Yeah. So it's clearly it's, a very powerful communication tool. Absolutely. It sits there in the brain. Once it's there and it's installed, it's there forever, really. Is there anyone you're particularly proud of? I would say BBC. We've been knocking on their door for about three years, trying to get in with them, mainly to do with the educational side of the BBC. Yeah, which um, is a big part of it. It's a very big part of it. I mean, I've got a 14-year-old daughter. She uses BBC Bite Size, BBC Teach. She's all used all the time, so she's used to it. And we love the way that that uses animation particularly to convey a message and actually to help teach the kids. So we thought, actually, you know, we seem like quite a good fit for what they're looking for as a business, but it's a difficult industry to get into. So as I said, we knocked on that door for about three years. Last year, we pitched for a project for Ancient Greece for BBC Teach. It was an eight-part series. We got down to the last two out of 30 and then sadly didn't get the pitch, which was very annoying. And they basically said to us, look, the only reason you didn't get it, I mean, to be fair, you did a great job. We loved everything you did, but we just haven't worked with you before. And for such a large project, we're not prepared to take the risk. And I was like, fair enough, I understand that. I get it. But how do we get around that? And they said, well, look, we love what you've done. Why don't you go away and come up with some ideas? And if you come up with something that we're interested in, we'd be prepared to talk to you. Mm. So I turned around to the educational consultants that I've been working with on the BBC pitch for Greece and said to them, look, can you go back and have a look through the BBC website, the Teach website, to see if there's anything in there that's maybe some holes that we could try and fill? Mm. So they went away. A week later, they came back and said, we've just been going through and we've been looking at the suffragettes. Loads on Emmeline Pankhurst, nothing on diversity. Of which you can imagine the BBC going, oh, yeah, we're sure that, uh, we are super diverse. They're and slightly yeah. politically correct, aren't they? The yeah, just, just, just a, a little smidge. bit. I don't know if people have noticed that, but yeah, they do like to be quite diverse. Mm-hmm. So we went back to the BBC and said, look, we've been looking through, found this to do with the suffragettes, nothing on diversity. And to be fair, they went, oh, crumbs, OK, yes, tell us more. So we went back to them and said, well, look, there's a really great lady called Princess Julip Singh, an Indian princess. There was a lady called Annie Kenny who was gay. There was also May Billinghurst who was disabled and in a wheelchair. And they played massive part within the suffragettes. And BBC went, great, we love it. By all means, oh, yeah, have the commission. So they gave us a commission Wonderful. to actually go away and make this animation about it, which was absolutely fascinating, loved it. And we basically completed that in March and delivered it. And that now sits on the BBC Teach website. And they invited us to go up to Manchester to the commissioning event to talk about all the new stuff that's coming out and stuff that we can basically pitch for again so it's fantastic fingers crossed yeah it's great i mean it's great for such a small business i mean there's only five of us in our business but we're obviously adaptable and can expand and for that job we did bring in consultants and a script writer to help us i mean guys that i've used over the years but it's great i mean they're good fun to work on but it was good to actually say oh finally open that door and go in and work yeah well done and it reminds me so a friend's daughter was constantly getting told well we really love what you said and you're really great but you haven't got any experience and she got so fed up of it she went to an interview and they said but you haven't got any experience and she said 
yes, but I'm never going to get any until someone like you takes a risk on me. But if you do, I will reward you with ABC. They go for the job. Yeah, and I think you've just got to keep bashing yeah, away. Yeah, and yeah, say, yeah, yes, yeah, absolutely. yes, give it to me. So you talk about the future. So what's next for animation and what's next for Pushed? Well, Pushed, I mean, we're trying to grow it now. As I said, when I left ITV, I started a freelancer and we grew organically, really. So I started to bring people in as more work came through the door. And then my wife came on board full time. She calls us okay a, working yeah, with the it's wife. Absolutely fine. Well, I worked with her at ITV for nine, ten okay, years. So, so you, yes, got a history of it. Interesting. A lot of people ask us that. To be fair, obviously we, we have our moments, as they say. But no, she's fantastic. She calls herself the back end of the business. She's not. She tends to be the one that's, as you probably know, seeing her at networking mm-hmm. events. She's out. She's quite prolific, to be fair, out mm-hmm. there online, keeping the business flowing. But we are now in the last five years. We have looked to actually grow it now. We realise we've got quite a strong brand. We deliver a great product. Also, the fact we can sort stay down the west country and still keep our staff remote it all works for us so we're trying to get into the bigger industries as i say like the national trust and bbc because we can give them a great product and we can basically we can undercut a lot of the big boys as well effectively and that's how we're doing it just by delivering it great and at a good price it's quite a simple theory but it works (laughs) yeah well as you grow because you clearly this is brilliant. And you're going to be a big boy, so to speak. Um, please don't leave the... Yes, sorry, I didn't mean it sound like Steady. that. I meant as a firm, you have a filthy mind. You know, you're going to turn into one of the big players. Please don't leave the West Country. And genuinely, thank you for being so engaged with the Chamber. It's been brilliant. I love seeing oh. you guys at events. You're really positive. You can do. You talk about all the great things going on. So we really appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, that's the whole reason we stay down. It is. It's great. It's like one big family, isn't it, down yeah. here? That's what we love about it. So, I mean, you have to be careful what you say. Yeah. <laughs> but to be fair, I mean, the Chamber's played a big part in what we've been doing i mean they've really helped us they've kind of introduced us to the right places they've given us opportunity to pitch and procure which was which great wasn't that great fun? oh i mean to be fair i was a bag of nerves doing you it were great <laughs> i couldn't believe you said that you were great oh no but it was great fun to be able to actually have that opportunity and that's the thing that the chamber's been giving us it's helped us do that so even as a small business like we are it's given us those little stepping stones to move forward so it's played a big part well thank you for that i can't think of a better way to end this than with a plug for the chamber oh there you uh, go. dave's <laughs> Stay involved, stay a fan of the Chamber. Thank you for being a champion of the Chamber and being a real friend to us. And good luck with your business. Thank you very much. If you're not already a Chamber member and you'd like to join, membership starts from as little as £245 per annum plus VAT. Your business can gain yearly benefits in excess of £2,200. Check out the membership section at devonchamber.co.uk. Be part of something bigger and join today to connect, grow and succeed with the Devon and Plymouth Chamber. In Conversation With is produced by Fresh Air Studios. Full audio production services for podcasts, live links and corporate communications. Visit freshairstudios.com. Presented by Stuart Elford. Produced and engineered by Paul Philpott. Edited and mixed by Martin Burgess-Moon. Production support by Lisa Hartwell. Copyright Devon and Plymouth Chamber of Commerce and Fresh Air Studios Limited. All rights reserved.